Hallelujah. Well, thank you for being here this morning. I think you're here somewhere. Oh, there we go. There we go. Praise the Lord. There you are. All right. Praise the Lord. We want to take just a moment this morning, uh, a very important moment, uh, to dedicate a precious baby to the Lord. Uh, dedication is a tradition. It's, it's not a church ordinance like communion or baptism, uh, but it's taught throughout the Word of God. And when we're talking about dedication, uh, it means to set aside. But the dedication of a commitment of a child to God and God's purposes ought to be whatever parent wants. Uh, but there's some, some uh, requirements. And uh, Matt and, and them are on their way down here, Matt. Uh, we join together with these parents to celebrate this child. And they're committing publicly to raise their child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But I can do this because there's just one of them here today. Uh, one, one dedication. But uh, when we dedicate children, guys, these ought to be committed, sold-out Christian parents. And uh, we've got that today, and we praise the Lord for that. They also ought to be involved in the church. And uh, this family is utterly involved in the church. And they ought to take seriously their responsibility to raise their children with a sp strong spiritual foundation. The Word of God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which they built not, and houses full of all the good things. He said, Beware, lest you forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. We've got a beautiful baby this morning, Bo Matthew Farmer. Mama is Jessica, and the father is Matt, and two sweet, sweet, sweet sisters, Shelby and Brooklyn. What a blessing they are to us. And, uh, Matthew was born at Longview Regional on February the 11th, 2019, seven pounds and nine ounces. If you're here with this family today, would you stand up? I know the Hunts are here and Janie Farmer, you're here right back there. Thank you, because this is going to involve y'all too as, as you raise these sweet kids. Uh, let's have a prayer of dedication for Matthew. Father, thank you this morning for the privilege of seeing a godly mom and daddy who love you with all of their heart, 
wanting to bring their children up in the same way they were brought up. And I pray, dear God, today your hand would be upon this family, that, God, you would be the ruler of everything they do. They would consider you in all things. I pray you'd bless this whole family, that Jesus would be glorified in everything they do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have been presented some flowers and a certificate saying what we've done today. And then there's a letter here for you to open on the 12th birthday. I guarantee you, uh, I've never seen it not happen. When these parents follow the Lord, uh, he'll be saved long before his 12th birthday. But if he's not, this letter explains how to be saved and gives him an opportunity to be saved when he's 12 years old. And then his first New Testament Bible. Matt, thank you. God bless y'all. Love y'all. Jessica, love y'all. God bless y'all. Girls, love y'all too. Thank you. Amen. God bless you. Amen. I heard the daddy say they won't want to hear the preacher preach. Go to children's church. (laughs) No. No. Thank God for children's church. Amen. Well, glory. Turn, if you would, just one scripture this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. As we continue our walk through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, uh, verse 8 is where we start this morning. We are a country that is consumed with wanting to be 100% pure. Uh, Computer guys are looking for a 100% pure chip. The fruit drinks are advertised as 100% fruit. We know it's a lie, none but polypop with a little sugar added. You younger people have no idea what polypop was, but you call it Kool-Aid today. Wrigley Spearmint Gum, supposed to be 100% pure chewing satisfaction. And then environmentalists want to restore pure air, pure environment, keep the water pure. You come go with me and I can show you out of the hydrant where they put that pure water outside of Jasper, Texas there. Uh, Run it right out of a faucet and sell it to you. And drug manufacturers want pure products and Hitler tried to produce a race of pure human beings and, and, and then there's one truthful one that's always been around, it seems like forever and that's ivory soap ivory soap has always announced that it is 99.44 pure always, if you've ever been in a tub ivory soap floats you get your bar and go home it's 99 and 44 100% pure. I just wonder what the other 56 100% is. I have no idea what it is. We're being reminded in all of this thing of pure. Blessed, he said, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we're being reminded that there ought to be one king in our life, one king in our heart. We, we, elevated other things and we brought other kings up in our lives but there ought to be one king and that ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ and that's what Matthew reveals here to the Messiah to the Jews and also to anyone that follows Jesus the word beatitude means perfect blessedness the world doesn't know how to make us happy 
We think they do. We've tried everything they've got to offer. We've endeavored and we've, we've experienced. We thought if we just get that next promotion, if we just get that new car, if we just get that dream vacation, we get that special gift, we get that new degree, and then a few days later, we're just as empty as we were before we got it. And what he's trying to show us here is happiness is not because of the outward things in life. It comes as an inward thing. And that's what he's trying to teach us here. The happiest people I know are people who've abandoned themselves to help others. The happiest people I know are the ones who've gone the second mile and the third mile. The happiest people I know are those who've been a blessing and not tooted their own horn. They've learned to be merciful, and we're walking down this Sermon on the Mount, and God is showing us the importance of godly character. Because as we walk through Matthew 5, 6, 7, and following here, he's going to show us that life is going to take away some of these things that we hold in our hands. Life circumstances is going to wake us up one morning not having what we went to bed with the night before. It may be that we lost our finances during the night. Maybe we've lost a spouse or a loved one. But we're going to wake up one morning not having what we had the night before. And if you haven't convinced yourself and totally sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ and understand that the inward love of God and the inward character of God is more important than anything else, you're going to have a rough time in life. We've learned how to love from the inside. And that makes us not worried about moths and rust and corruption and thieves breaking through and stealing because the, the, the love we have is not manufactured by man. It can't be created. It's a bliss. It's a joyful serenity. It's a peace. It's a gladness that keeps on. The irony of the Beatitudes is it's totally contrary to what the world teaches. Now, wait a minute. It's not only contrary to what the world teaches, it's contrary to what most churches teach. That's the irony of the Beatitudes. We preach a lot, you see, because we judge good Christians on outward deeds. (laughs) But God judges good Christians on inward deeds. So we preach a lot on tithing, and we preach a lot on soul winning, and Serving the poor, teaching, singing in the choir, and and all those are good. Look, I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a Christian who wasn't doing something for the glory of God. That's all good. But I think what he's trying to show us here is you ought not to live to let people know you love God. That ought not to be a reason why you live. Now listen. If you love God, you're not going to be able to keep that from people. But your goal in life ought not to be impressing people so that they'll know you love God. That means that some of us are going to need to put our man-pleasing on hold for a while and spend some time pleasing the master. You see, there's some things in your heart this morning your spouse doesn't know. There's some things in your heart that your kids can't unlock. There's some things in your heart your pastor has no idea about. Jesus said, what if it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? 
Now, let's not be spiritual. Let's just get flesh, all right? Let's use some common sense this morning. Common. Doesn't exist very often, but let's, let's use it, okay? If Jesus is the key to happiness, which he is, amen? Amen. If Jesus has the keys to heaven and eternal life, amen? He does. If he is happiness, he is eternal life, then doesn't it make just good sense we need to come up next to him and please him? That we ought not to be worried maybe so much about pleasing each other, and we ought to just say, look, he's the one I need to please. Because he's the one that bought and paid for my salvation when I didn't deserve it. So he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's a special people. Let me tell you this morning, spiritual influence must be received. You say, preacher, why do we need spiritual influence? Because there ain't a one of you in this building today pure in heart. You can have all the mentors you want to have. You can have all the friends you want to have. You can have all the counselors you want to have. But there's not a one of us in this room that is pure in heart. The only one pure in heart is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way you're going to get through him is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it like this. The heart is deceitful and above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The psalmist said, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Every one of us have a wicked heart. Yet he says here, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Who in the world is he talking about? Because every one of us have a wicked heart. He's talking about those who have repented of their sin and made him Lord and master of their life. That's who he's talking about here. Those who have, you say, does Jesus have favorites? Well, sure, he's got favorites. He loves his children. In fact, if you're not one of his children, he won't even chastise you. You ought to thank God sometimes when you're getting a good whipping, because that means God loves you. Amen? The Lord's one of yours, yeah. Mm-hmm. He loves you. Remember in chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus commanded the people to repent for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And then in verse uh, 23 and following in that same chapter, he went throughout the region preaching the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel means it's good news. The good news this morning is that Jesus has saved you. That's the good news. Remember when the disciples came and they said, Whoo, Jesus, we had a good day today. We were casting out demons. We were making the blind to see. We were making the lame to walk. Well, we've had a good day. And Jesus, remember what he said? He said, hey, don't get so excited about all the things you can do. What you ought to be thrilled about is your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what you need to make sure of this morning. Hey, praise the Lord for the miracles. Praise the Lord for the signs and wonders. But I want to tell you, if you have every miracle on earth and still die and go to hell, you have missed it. I'm learning a lot of people don't spend a lot of time on their hearts. We've got to rely on the supernatural. I'm wicked. I'm vile. I'm no good. Psalm 139, he said, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, and see 
if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me to the way of everlasting. You remember in 1 Samuel, God said, Samuel, I want you to go over to the house of Jesse, and I want you to anoint the next king. And he goes over there, and Jesse, of course, brings out his older son, tall, statue, great, you know, young man. And, and Samuel says, that's not him. Well, bring out another one. That's not him. Well, bring another one. That's not him. He said, don't you have any more sons? Yeah, I got one scrawny kid out there in the pasture watching the sheep go get him. And the moment David walks in, Samuel says, that's him. And you remember what he said? The Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I won't tell you, I've got firsthand experience. I had open heart surgery and a heart valve replacement. Every time I go to a doctor now, they say, "Woo, it's making a lot of noise. I say, what does that mean? Oh, don't worry about a thing. Like I hadn't got sense enough to look up WebMD. The more, more noise your heart makes, the sooner you could drop dead. Yeah. So I guess I'm just going to have to depend on the Word of God. The Lord's got our days numbered. And when He gets ready for me to drop dead, now listen, don't come up and start telling me, you need to do this, you need to slow down, you need, no, you need to speed up. <laughs> We're living in last days. Anything you ever thought about doing for the Lord, you better get it on. You better do it fast or you're going to be saying, I wish I'd have done that. I wish I'd have done that. I think... A lot of Christian people spend very little time on their spiritual hearts. And we want you to be involved in the Lord's work. We want you to be involved teaching life groups. We want you to be involved singing in the choir. Didn't that choir look good this morning? Hallelujah. They got a vacation, but it's over to next year. Bless God. <laughs> we got them now. All right. Praise the Lord. I want you singing in the choir. I want you visiting down now. But what he's trying to show us is it's possible that you're working hard and diligently outwardly and still not happy on the inside. Because we judge what you do on the outside. Every person can join this group. There's not a person in this room that can't join this favorite group. You say, how? Repent of your sins and come to Jesus. He'll wash you white as snow. Mm. When a man turns to Christ, he cleanses his heart from sin and he gives him a new heart. Ezekiel says it like this. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness will I cleanse you. Now listen, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. You see, I'm not pure. You're not pure. But the second thing is God is pure and God wants each one of us to be pure. You say, preacher, good grief, we're in a mess. Well, we were until Jesus came. But through Jesus, we can be pure. You come and you surrender yourself to Jesus, and he cleans you up from the inside out. You see, it is, well, I don't want to tick nobody off, but let me just say this. Not everybody that sings, oh, how I love Jesus, loves Jesus. 
Mm. Is what you're doing in your heart, is that the same thing you're telling people on the outside of your heart? What you're teaching, what you're preaching from the Word, what you're singing in the choir, is that really what's in your heart? You see, you can't be happy. I'll see some of you one time and I'll never see you again. And and I'm not going to apologize for it. You say, well, I just didn't feel comfortable. You're not supposed to feel comfortable. When you're living in sin, you don't need to feel comfortable. We're praying you're miserable. Until you get a hold of Jesus and let him change your life, I pray you can't sleep at night. My phone is on. You can call me anytime you want to, and I'll come show you how to be saved in the middle of the night. doesn't make me any difference. It's refreshing to find somebody. You're not going to be able to live like the world all week and come in here into church and worship because it's going to be Holy Spirit conviction. I'll be honest with you. I shouldn't tell you this, but the real truth is most weeks, I spend more time praying for the Holy Spirit to fall on this place than I do studying the Word of God. Because I believe if, you pre- if the Holy Ghost is in this place, I can preach Kentucky Fried Chicken and people will get saved. <laughs> Amen? It's dependent upon the Holy Spirit, not upon me. Statistics show there's two things that turn people off to church today. One of them is people on the outside of the church talking about how people on the inside of the church act. And they say, I don't want no part of that. Your neighbors may be crazy, but they're not stupid. When you get up every morning and leave your car, get in your car and come, they know you're coming to church. They know that. And so when you throw a wall-eyed fit out there in the front yard because some dog wet on your yard, ah, I thought them people loved the Lord. I thought they were different. Huh? I didn't hit home there, hadn't I? (laughs) Hey, we're supposed to be acting like Christians, but you know the number one reason why people don't come to church? is because they say they came to church to get close to God, and when they got in, they realized that those they thought were close to God were not close to God. I hear things all the time, preacher, if you only knew. Preacher, that's what they're telling you. God help us to get our hearts right with him. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. And then we're, we're changed people. A man cannot enter the kingdom of God unless he's been made fit for the kingdom of God. You can't do it. It's his kingdom. He'll do what he wants to, and we'll live by his rules or we won't go to his kingdom. It's just that simple. A sinner would be a miserable wreck if he could enter heaven with all of his vices and bad habits. But the Bible says in Revelation 21, 27, there shall in no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. The psalmist said, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. There's got to be a change. We sing about it. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. When? Since Jesus came into my heart. 
back in the 1800s, railroads were coming to America. This was a letter written by the governor of New York, Martin Van Buren, to the president on January 31st, 1829. He said, Dear Mr. President, as you may know, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines which, in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to the crops, scaring the livestock, frightening women and children. The Almighty certainly never intended people should travel at such breakneck speed. <laughs> Aren't you glad that changed the way we travel? I mean, I left Fort Lauderdale, Florida last Thursday in less than three hours. I think the guy was speeding. Less than three hours, I was sitting in Dallas. Wow. There's got to be a, 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 a change. When a man becomes a Christian, the greatest change takes place. There are those who I'm looking at here that people declared, there's no hope for that old boy. You can count him out. He ain't going to be worth nothing. I hear it at visitation. Here's a oh no, we don't want to go to his house. No, he's not going to make it. And yet, you're sitting here this morning, and some of you got the audacity to work with children on sun, Sunday night and Wednesday night, and you're in the kitchen cooking, and you're in the nursing home, and you're, and you're just serving the Lord. And 10 years ago, people would have laughed and said, he ain't going to make it. What happened? Supernatural change. Supernatural change. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're a special people. They're a changed people. And next comes the blessing itself. For they shall see God. They'll see God. You want to know what keeps me going? I'll be honest with you. Now, I love you. Love my family. I, I, I know all those quote answers. But I'll tell you the thing that keeps me going more than anything is what old Job said. After my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Those who've gone on before, I'm going to see them again. Fanny Crosby wrote that wonderful hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Wow, what a blessing. And as Jesus is standing on the mountain this day and he's preaching this sermon, he was offering them the kingdom everlasting life. And if we can have that kingdom everlasting life, doesn't it make sense that we start using those same principles right now while we're walking through this life? It's a blessed reward. The reward is synonymous with the assurance of seeing God. What a day that'll be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, he takes me by the hand, leads me to the promised land. What a day, what a glorious day that will be. Wow. Boy, we pure in heart, pure in heart. I tell you, Becky and I went last night and carried Hattie and a friend to see the play over at Archview. If you've never been to Archview, it's a wonderful place. They had Annie, uh, where 
live production of Annie, little orphan Annie. And from the, I had to just bite myself and close my eyes. I cried from the time the thing started all the way to the ended. Thinking of all of the children all around us. I'm not talking about Tanzania. I'm not talking about Kenya. I'm not talking about Brazil or Haiti. I'm talking about all around us who are in situations that we can't even describe. And yet God has blessed us so, so much. So much. Boy, I'll tell you, we've learned in this Sermon on the Mount thus far (laughs) that if we'll be merciful to others, God will be merciful to us. If we'll reach out and help those who can't help themselves, God will help us. It's a blessed reward. In Revelation 22, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and forever. Blessed or the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To see means to know and experience. Have you known that? Are you experiencing that right now in your life? I'm not talking about sitting here saying, well, yeah, when I was uh, seven years old, I experienced that. Nothing's changed. Nothing's been different. But I made that decision when I was seven. You better go back and recheck that. You better recheck that. You say, preacher, you're trying to scare me. No, I'm trying to keep you out of hell. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm telling you, if you don't have a walking, intimate relationship with the Lord right now, if what your salvation is based on solely what you did 40 years ago, you better recheck something. Because according to the Word of God, to see Him means to know and experience, to have a pure heart. It, 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 it takes a, like a tree whose leaves nourish the root and the, fruit, and the roots drink deeply from the earth and then nourish the leaves. It's a constant action, constantly. Me, God, me, God, me, God, continually. But to see also means to commune with and to explore. When Columbus landed and discovered America, and I still think he discovered America. I don't care what people say today. They saw all these forests and all these big trees and mountains and streams and all this stuff. And they saw it was magnificent. But they had no idea really what was in there. Listen, you come to Jesus and get saved, you wow, that's wonderful. But you don't really have no idea what communicating with the Lord to do until he does it day after day after day after day. And then we have no idea what the future is going to hold. People say, oh, well, it's going to be great. You have no idea what heaven's like. It's going to be better than anything you've ever seen in your life. To see means to communicate, explore, but it also means to interview. Interview. The Greeks came saying, sirs, we would see Jesus. That's what this world needs today. It needs to see Jesus through us, through our lives, through our testimonies, through our jobs. So many of us are like the children of Israel 
we're there in the wilderness of this lie and we've got a hand stretched out to God. Oh God, we want to go to the promised land. What, 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 what's that I smell? Oh, that's those garlic and onions coming from Egypt. Mm, don't they smell good? And we've got one hand wanting to shake hands with God. And we've got one hand here wanting to still be involved in the things of the world. And according to the word of God, we can't have two masters. How many of us have seen God this week? You say, well, preacher, it's been a rough week. I haven't really, you know. No, let me just tell you. Probably the reason we haven't seen God is because we got unconfessed sin in our life. And you're not going to see God until you confess that sin and get your heart right with God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Preacher, is it possible to see God in bad situations? I mean, is it possible to see God in cancer? Is it possible to see God in the death of a loved one or the loss of a job or financial ruin? Is it possible to see God when your kids are rebellious or you've got some wicked job you're having to do? Or is it possible to see God when folks are talking about you behind your back, probably mocking you and, and they're saying he's a nut? And he, uh, uh, Is it possible? Well, why don't we ask that widow? who was about to starve to death, but that oil kept on coming and fed her. How about let's go back and ask in Abraham when God said, pick up everything you got and you leave. Where am I going? I'll tell you later on. Is that possible? Well, why don't we ask Noah when we get there and he's the only one on the boat. Is it possible to see God in a bad situation? Let's ask Mary and Joseph as they're running for their life. Ah, let's ask Paul. Is it possible to see God in a bad situation when he's sitting in Rome in a prison writing encouraging letters to the churches? Is it possible? World War II, people used to entertain themselves other than television. It wasn't any television. A lot of times, some of you in this room here, you've gotten around a radio and a whole group be there in a the living room and everybody hear a story or something from the radio. And this group in England was meeting like that and they were listening to a radio and, and uh, man, I mean, uh, all of a sudden a very influential, famous actor walked in to just to meet with the group and just a fellowship and have a good time. And they all got on him. They said, look, perform for us. We're tired of the radio. Perform for us. He said, no, I'd rather, no, perform for us. So he got up and he quoted the 23rd Psalm. His elocution was spotless. His voice had all the right reverberations, all the right enunciations. It was a magnificent oratorical address. And when he was through, they applauded. They were beside themselves. He had not missed a spot. There was not a blemish on anything. It was magnificent. And then they said to an older man sitting there, said, you're religious. He just quoted the 23rd Psalm. You get up and quote the 23rd Psalm. Now, who wants to quote the 23rd Psalm after an actor has done a spotless job doing it? <laughs> 
But they finally convinced the old man he had to do it. And he gets up, and he stumbles through it and all. And By the time he gets through, there's a holy hush on the whole building. Nobody moves. Nobody says anything. Complete quiet. Everybody's sitting there. Finally, the actor stood up, and he said, uh, I'm perceiving in my mind that you're wanting to know what the difference was between my performance and his performance. And they're all, wow, totally clapping, holy hush. The actor said, the difference is I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. I won't tell you this morning now, you better hear me. You know all you need to know, and you learn all you need to know and learn. But the most important thing you'll ever do is meet the shepherd. <laughs> You're lost without him. There's no way. There's no way. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you've got an opportunity to meet him this morning. Would you bow your head? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you say, Preacher, I know Jesus. I know the shepherd. Praise the Lord. He washed my sins away.